Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We are going to jump into our Bible study this morning, and let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. If you're new to the Bible, and uh, one, you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible. We do want you to be able to follow along and keep track with us as we study through God's Word, and if you're not sure exactly where the book of Peter is, you can turn to your neighbor and say, hey, where is Peter? And they'll say, well, I'm Peter. You just met me. And you'll, new friend for life right there. Um, But uh, if you're new to the Bible, Peter is in the New Testament towards the end of the Bible. You can take a look at the uh, glossary as well and just find 1 Peter. In fact, uh, a big part of what we do here and a part of our ministry here at Quest Church is The teaching of God's word, our vision uh, here that the Lord has given us is to reach people who are far from God, and the most of the people who are far from God are not in this building. Now, you might be far from God and in this building, and praise the Lord, you're in the best place possible, because found people find people, and when you've been found by Jesus, you have a heart and a desire to share with other people who need Jesus how to find Jesus themselves. So uh, if you are far from God, then you're in the right place. But the majority of the people who are far from God are not in this building, and they are in our neighborhoods. They live right next to you. They're in your workplace or in your school or uh, at the grocery store in line as you're impatient because they have to go run and do a price check. But then in that moment, you have an opportunity to pray for that person. Um, So God's always working, and people who are far from God is really our heart and our desire. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so our desire as a church and our vision and mission as a church is to reach people who are far from God. But when you reach people, what do you do? You teach them to follow Jesus. Not follow a person, not follow a book, not follow a denomination, not follow an organization, not follow rules, laws, and regulations, not follow a religion. But follow Jesus. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And there's great benefit and blessing in what we are doing corporately together through the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of God's word. But that is in no way to take the place of you and I personally nourishing ourselves on God's word on a daily basis. We're going to talk a little bit about that as we get into our text today, to teach people to follow Jesus. And when you get people close to God's word, then you see lives changed and transformed. You see uh, marriages healed. You see the prodigals return. You see those who are afflicted with addiction. You see those chains broken. I know that because that happened in my life, that Jesus broke the chains of addiction and, and anger and and, um, and, and those things in my life, and he made me new. 
and filled me with his Holy Spirit. He could do the same in your life. He can break those chains, and it's through the power of God's word. So you reach people who are far from God. This really is the ministry of Jesus. Reach people who are far from God. Teach them to follow Jesus, and then you launch them out to serve God in the world. I like that, because right behind this podium is a launch coats. I have the key. It's quite nuclear when you release God's people. When you fill God's people with God's word, and you fill God's people with God's power through the Holy Spirit, then there is no other power like it. And the power of God is unleashed through the people of God, through the word of God, through the spirit of God. And then those people go out and, and they serve the Lord. And every single one of you are unique. God has made you with a very specific purpose. He's given you different abilities and different skills and different spiritual gifts so that you can honor God and glorify God and serve God and so that you can bring people to know the God that you follow. And so we launch people. And what's cool about the rockets nowadays, I guess Tesla can launch rockets and then they can land them, which is pretty remarkable to me. So we launch six days out of the week, right? We're launching you after a 45-minute sermon, after a one-hour service of worship, and it's encouraging. But you're going to be launched with your tanks full of rocket fuel for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to launch out. You're going to take that. You're going to share it. You're going to be salt and light and love. And Peter here, in this book, as we jump into, as I mentioned, our, our desire is to get into God's Word. We study God's Word chapter and verse here. We go through the Bible, go through the books of the Bible. And the series of this book, First Peter, Second Peter, is what we're looking at, is to stand firm so that we can stand firm in our faith. We can stand firm in salvation. We're going to see these themes as we study through over the next couple months leading up to Easter so that we can stand firm in salvation that Jesus has secured for us. We can stand firm in trials and persecutions. We can stand firm in the word of God because it's true and it never fades away. We can stand firm in Christ-like character and conduct that God is developing in our lives. We can stand firm in faithfulness to what he's calling us to do. We can stand firm as we wait upon the return of Jesus. And all of these themes are presented in Peter's epistle, and Peter's a very interesting character in the Bible, if you've ever studied or looked at him in um, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter was called by Jesus to follow him. In fact, his brother led him to Christ. So if you have somebody close to you, God can often use you to bring your friend or your loved one to Jesus. And his brother said, I found nobody like this guy. You need to come see him. And Peter was called and he was drawn close to Jesus, and he was commissioned as an apostle. But uh, Peter's uh, name, his birth name was uh, Simon, which means God hears. But Jesus uh, gave him a new name. Uh, he called him Peter, which means uh, stone or pebble or rock. And God uh, really strengthened this man to be used powerfully by the Lord. In fact, in Peter's life, uh, we see great triumphs, but we also see glaring tragedies. Great triumphs. Peter walking on the water, if you're familiar with the story in the Gospels. I mean, here he is. Lord, if that's you out in the storm on the Sea of Galilee, if that's you, call me out. And he's called out. He's walking on the water. Powerful. This other disciples are like, man, I couldn't have done that. That's pretty cool. And so there are these just great triumphs in Peter's life, but there's also glaring tragedies, denying Jesus three times, and weeping over it, and yet Jesus restoring him, and Peter ends up becoming 
a leader for the apostles in the early church standing up when the church was birthed and the Holy Spirit was poured out, preaching this gospel, connecting the Old Testament truths and prophecies of God in the purpose of the Holy Spirit being poured out and 3,000 souls. Man, there's an evangelist for you. And it just goes to show that God can use and take anybody, anybody who's weak and frail and broken, who's messed up, uh, who's denied God. You see, the gospel changes everything. And the, the Bible says that if, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away and all things become new. So you are no longer defined by your past mistakes when you're found in Christ. When you come to Christ, you're born again. And it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. God says, I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. And Peter is going to present to us many of these themes. And in light of Peter's life, it's remarkable to see how he presents in his first chapter this theme of a living hope. A hope based upon the eternal salvation secured for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now at the end of this chapter, actually in the beginning of chapter 2, we're going to see how Peter encourages the Christians to nourish themselves on the milk of God's word. And sometimes we think of the milk of God's word being the foundations. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, should never move beyond the simple foundations of the gospel of Jesus Christ presented in his word. And we're going to see many of those things presented. So the point that we want to remember today is that eternal salvation, as presented by Peter in this opening chapter of his letter, impacts and should impact our temporal situation, our current circumstances. Eternal salvation, in light of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, the resurrection power, his grace, his mercy, his compassion, should impact the way that we live right now. It's a living hope. And oftentimes we think about hope as something in the future. And yes, there is reserved for us that will not fade away an eternal hope secured by the power of God for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. But we also have that living hope today. Right now, the resurrection power. And we're going to see this in four ways. One is we're going to see Paul greet the pilgrims, these Christians who are, quote, homeless. They're sojourners. They're just passing through. And he's going to encourage them with God's grace and peace. Secondly, we're going to see Peter give a, a hopeful presentation of salvation and the gospel. Thirdly, we're going to see Paul talk about the holy conduct that the gospel should create in our lives as it impacts us. And then lastly, we're going to see Paul talk about a hunger and a thirst for God's word and how that nourishes our souls. So I don't know if we'll get through it all, but we'll take our time and walk through it. Chapter and verse, Peter's first epistle, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, an apostle means sent one. Or appointed one. And sometimes we can be a little bit confused about titles that we see in the Bible. Or maybe even titles that certain people give themselves today. But biblically, in the context of Peter's writing and what was happening in the early church, an apostle was somebody who was sent. Somebody who would um, declare the, the gospel message of God to foreign and distant lands. But it also had this idea of being appointed and selected. 
And what we see not only in the title of Peter, speaking of himself as an apostle, uh, even Paul would talk about that in his letters. The majority of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. He would say, by the will of God. There's no qualification given to us in this opening stanza or verse that Peter says, well, why am I an apostle? I think there's a lot of history and a lot of recording based upon the Gospels and the book of Acts to give us an understanding of the importance and the significance of Peter as the leader of the early church. He says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Not his own power, not his own will, not his own purpose, but following and called by Jesus. And that's important because Peter is going to go on to talk about how every single Christian is called by God. But he says to the pilgrims of the dispersion, excuse me, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so in these Verses, uh, Paul is addressing, notice he uses the word pilgrims, uh, which is an indication of those who are scattered, those who are strangers or foreigners, temporary residents. And if you understand what was going on during this time, the uh, Emperor Roman Nero, who was a a brutal dictator, uh, slaughtered many people, family members, to control power, but also slaughtered Christians. And in fact, blamed Christians during this time for a lot of the problems in Rome. And because of that, Christians experienced a lot of persecution and a lot of tribulation. And because of that, they were scattered and dispersed. And this is the word that Peter chooses to use, this stranger or foreigner. Now that's important because the Bible talks about how you and I, as Christians, as followers of God, are pilgrims just passing through on planet Earth. That we're just sojourners. The Bible says that we should be in the world but not of the world. That our, our heavenly citizenship should impact our earthly interactions and how we live our lives. And that, In fact, that was the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' greatest sermon, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He talked about how our, earthly, excuse me, our heavenly citizenship should um, look as we live our lives here on earth. And so there is an encouragement to these Christians who were persecuted. They were pilgrims. They were dispersed. They were scattered. The Gentile Christians in Rome during this time, in these various cities, Paul is encouraging them through their persecution and through their struggle and trial. And notice what he says in verse 2. He says, To the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, For obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. I love to just see the grace of God, the peace of God as a common greeting uh, for letters being written to people. So uh, what we see here is is really the, the impact of the triune God. You see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So Paul says a couple of things here that I think are important and encouraging for for us today. One is that all believers are chosen by God. Notice he uses the word elect and the foreknowledge of God, that we are chosen. And being chosen means you are loved. You are um, accepted. You are called by God. And being chosen by God means that you're precious to Him. That God loves you with an everlasting love. So to be elected and, 
and chosen by God means that you and I are loved. But notice he talks about how the Holy Spirit, and because of this love and because we're chosen by God, there is a sanctification of the Spirit. Now the word sanctification means to make holy or to produce change in our lives. And being changed because of the work of God in our lives produces, what does he say? Obedience to the Lord. There's a life of change that takes place, and it's the Holy Spirit who has been given us as a guarantee. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit in order to be changed, in order to be sanctified, in order to be made holy and to be formed into the image of Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, the sanctification work. And how is all of this accomplished? Through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's kind of a reference to the Old Testament sacrifices in the, in the temple and the Levitical law that the priests would sprinkle the altar with the blood of the, the, the animals that were sacrificed in order to bring about the forgiveness of the sins of the people and the reconciliation of the people to God. But the book of Hebrews tells us in the New Testament that these sacrifices were only temporary and they were pointing us to a sinless, more perfect, better sacrifice in the sprinkling of Jesus' blood upon the cross. That the sprinkling of Jesus' blood upon our hearts and upon our lives makes us, notice, holy and cleansed. And it's through this work of the triune God. I think there's probably no other succinct picture of the triune God's purpose and work in our lives than the choosing of God and his love for you and I, than the consecration of the Spirit through sanctification work and the cleansing of Jesus' blood in our lives. And because of that, grace and peace is multiplied to you and I. It's not in our works. It's not in our ability. It's not in what we have done, but it's in what God has done for us. And this brings great comfort and encouragement to these Christians who are experiencing persecution, trial, and hardship. I think it also gives us encouragement and a reminder today. So in verse 3, he gets into the opening verses. After his greeting, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Everyone say mercy and now say hope. These are great words, words to hold on to as you go into 2024, as you turn over a new year and new opportunities. It's the mercy of God, the abundant mercy of God. Now mercy is receiving something that we didn't deserve. Now what we did deserve, according to the scriptures, is that the Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and because of that, the wages or the penalty of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. And in that is the nutshell of the gospel. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his abundant mercy. God's mercy is the wellspring. It's the source of salvation. It's the source of his goodness. It's the source of his grace. It's the source of his sanctification work in our lives. It's his mercy. And because of that, through the resurrection, notice he points us to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you remove the resurrection from the gospel, then salvation completely crumbles. And every single preacher in the, in, in the New Testament was preaching 
the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's because the gospel, excuse me, it's because the resurrection proves that what Jesus claimed, who he is and what he's come to do, it proves that he is the Messiah. So there's the mercy, there's the living hope, as I mentioned, not only hope for the future, but also hope for today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. There's something to look forward to. And all of this, notice verse 5, is kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. I'm thankful that all of this work that we've already talked about is, uh, is held secure by the power of God. Why? Because I know from week to week and day to day and moment to moment, I stumble, I fall, I walk away from God, I deny Him. I do things that break his heart or grieve his spirit. But none of that matters in light of the secure nature of our souls because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. One of the words he said from the cross, he says, it is finished. That means that you and I cannot add or subtract to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the proving of the empty tomb and the resurrection from the dead. See, this is the foundations of the gospel. Paul is focusing, all Christians, I believe, upon this eternal salvation and the hope presented because of the resurrection. Notice he uses the word begotten again. It's not the same word, but it's the same theme as what Paul would say. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, being born again. Jesus said to, was it Zacchaeus? I'm trying to remember on the fly here. Being born again, was it Zacchaeus? I, okay, well, you got some homework. So do I. <laughs> John chapter 3. Nicodemus, there it is. I knew it wasn't us. And for all of us in the room, we need to hear this. He says, you need to be born again. We've all been born of water, meaning the original birth. But we need to be born of the Spirit, to be born again, to have a new creation. The idea is a metamorphosis, that all those things have changed, where you go into the cocoon and it wraps it up and it struggles to come out, and now there's a completely new identity. We have been born again, notice, begotten again to a new creation, that Jesus conquered death so that you and I could have living hope. And this is all a result of his mercy, of his grace for you and I. And it is kept by the power of God. Meaning, when you mess up this week, because I know you're going to mess up, because you're like me, and we mess up. When we mess up, that does not mean that God has abandoned you, or He's forgotten about you, or He's walked away from you. The hope of, of the Scriptures is that there is neither height, nor angels, nor principalities, nor death, nor any other thing that can separate you and I from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing. So don't let the enemy lie to you in your mind or in your heart this week saying, look at what a horrible person you are. God doesn't love you anymore. No, you are elect by the foreknowledge of God. You are chosen by the Father. You are sanctified by the Spirit. You are sealed with His love. You are cleansed by Jesus. That means you're His. And it's his power that holds you, not your power, because my power is weak. P Peter also said that, you know, when I'm weak, 
then God's power is perfected, for his grace is sufficient in my weakness. And so rest upon going into this new year, not your power, because it's not by power, nor by might, but by his spirit. It's the power of God to seal you. It's the power of God to keep you through faith. You respond to his grace through faith and this salvation comes. This is a great declaration. I mean, we could spend so much time just looking at this hopeful presentation of salvation. But notice, Peter transitions from salvation and he talks about how that should impact our present uh, tribulations and trials. Because as we all know, maybe 2023 was a very hard year for you. Maybe you had a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, and a lot of anguish. And we all can relate because we all go through seasons and periods of time where there's just so much hurt and pain. God knows those. He sees them. But Peter's going to give us a perspective on pain to show us that God has a purpose in that pain, in light of the eternal salvation and hope that he has given us. Notice verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice. In what? In what Peter just said. It should, joy should well up in our hearts and in our souls and affect our faces and let people know on the outside that we are joy-filled believers because we are chosen we are consecrated and we are cleansed and we are kept by God. Woohoo! That's it. Man, that's all I need for 2024. Close the book. We're done. No. I mean, you pretty much could do that. We re greatly rejoice. But no, I don't want to rejoice. Have you seen my bank account? There's nothing to rejoice there. Have you seen my kids? There's not a lot to rejoice about there. He's involved in all the details. Have you seen my work? Man, I want to get as far away from work as possible. In this you greatly rejoice. Man, walking through life, bubbling with joy, has nothing to do with the pennies, has nothing to do with the pain, has nothing to do with the problems. It has everything to do with the promise of God. Amen. That's his work in our lives. Man, Lord, fill us to be a people of joy. In this you greatly rejoice. Hold on. He transitions and changes. Though now for a little while, if need be. Well, I don't need to go through trials, God. <laughs> but maybe God's saying, I think you need to. And why would he say you and I need to for a little while? That's important. For a little while. See, God gives us his perspective on the problems of pain. And sometimes we think, man, this is just too much. I can't handle it. It's way over my head, and that's okay. Because whatever is over your head is still under God's feet. You can trust him. And his perspective of time has nothing to do with our perspective of time. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. God stretches out. He's outside of time. But when we're in the midst of the pressure cooker of, 
of hardships. It feels like every single second is just crushing us further and deeper down. And Peter says, if for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, friends, it is okay and it is a part of the process of troubles in our lives to grieve. Do you realize that the Old Testament says of Jesus that he was a man acquainted with? That's it. Grief. You don't need to run from it. You don't need to hide from it. You don't need to medicate it. You don't need to bury it. You need to see God in it because he knows what you're going through in the grief. It's a part of the process. Oh, I'm so grieved, Lord. And he says, I'm near to the brokenhearted and save such who have a grieved spirit. God's walking with you. So he says, if need be, various trials. Why? What's this all for? That the genuineness of your faith, so it's a spiritual thing. You see, we look at hardships and troubles as a physical thing. And as a man, I try to solve it. I try to fix it. I try to eliminate it. But you can't eliminate the problems because God is trying to do something spiritually in yours and my life. And so he wants us to walk through them. So there is this genuineness of faith that God is refining our faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God is producing more joy in the pain and in the trials, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Do you see how much joy is filled in these couple of verses dealing with trial and pain and hardship? Now that's not to minimize the impact and the grievance that your heart is experiencing, but it is to maximize the perspective of God in our lives. A couple things here. As Paul presents this presentation of salvation and how that should impact as we go through trials. That faith is often, as Peter says here, often refined through the furnace of fiery trials. We've talked a little bit about that. But trouble here, a couple of things. One is, it does not last. It's temporary. There's a season for it. And maybe it's like uh, Paul who prayed three times, Lord Jesus, would you take this thorn? Would you take this ache? Would you take this pain away from me? And maybe it could be that you are going to hobble through life with a spiritual ache and pain that God is not going to take away, but he is going to give you the strength so that you can walk through it. And maybe he will take it away. Maybe he will uh, heal. Maybe he, he has a, a certain season for it. But these pains, they don't last. Paul uses the word for a little while. It might not seem little, <laughs> It seems like a long while, God, but I'm going to continue to seek you. So in the trouble, it does not last. Secondly, it serves a purpose. And that purpose is to strengthen your faith, to refine it, to purify it. Why? Because God cares more about your faith than about the struggle. He's using the struggle to refine 
yours and my faith. So it serves a purpose. It also comes in various forms. That your struggle, notice he says, various trials. And at any moment, these darts and these problems, they can come from any certain direction. And God knows how to get a hold of our attention. And he knows those things that he's allowing in our lives to bring about the strengthening and the genuineness and the refining of our faith. So there's in various forms. But then lastly, I think this is important because this is a conviction for me, is that trouble should not diminish our joy. He says, with exceeding joy, inexpressible, full of glory. Why? Because verse 9 says that it is pointing us to receiving the end of our faith. What is the end of our faith? Well, I know what the beginning of our faith is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For that anyone that comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. So God is working through the beginning of faith all the way through the trials of faith for the end of your faith. That is the salvation of your souls. It's a complete work. He who began a work in you is faithful to complete it. So he encourages the Christians that there's a purpose for the trials that they're experiencing. And then uh, in verse 10, he continues on by saying, Of this salvation, of this salvation, we talked about his mercy, his hope, his grace, his cleansing, his forgiveness, his living hope through the resurrection. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched. So now we're told that there was a, a foreknowledge of the salvation work of Jesus before he ever even uh, came on the scene. And the prophets inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Everyone say grace. Here is God's unmerited favor. The grace of God searching what and what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. You can look at the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah that would come, the suffering servant who would sacrifice himself and display God's grace. And to them it was revealed that, not to themselves but to us, there was a foreshadow in the Old Testament prophecies of what the Messiah would come to fulfill the grace and the mercy of God in bringing salvation to our souls. It's a gospel. But to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which even angels desire to look into. Wow. The idea is angels are leaning in to this gift of grace of God to these clumsy, no-good human beings and saying, what in the world is God doing? Man, that is really a picture of God's grace. So we see, uh, we see the resurrection as the foundation of the gospel. We see the trials as the work of God refining our faith, but we also see this grace. And that salvation is the greatest exhibition of God's grace put on display through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. If you want to see God's grace, then look to the cross of Calvary. 
because on the cross of Calvary, we see God's mercy and his justice meet perfectly in the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So here is this hopeful presentation of the gospel. Now, how does this impact our lives today? What does this mean for us in how we live? Notice in verse 13, therefore, which is a transition word, therefore, based on this salvation, how then ought we to live? Gird up the loins of your mind, meaning that phrase actually, gird up, means to prepare for action. Get ready, be prepared, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you upon the revealing of Jesus Christ. A couple things. One is the mind. The Bible says that God's word will renew our minds. And I don't know about you. If you're anything like me, you know that there's a big battle in your mind. The enemy is constantly lying to me. He's telling me all of these certain things. And there's these voices in my head that just continue to pummel me and make me feel like this small. But when I read these verses, opening verses of 1 Peter, I realize, wow, my God is this big. And he loves me this much. And the battle is in the mind. So be sober-minded. The idea is um, to have a clarity of thought and to take seriously, to consider your life and to consider the things that you're focusing your life upon. Because oftentimes, our actions are predicted by the thoughts we have. And we fill our heart, and we fill our mind, and we fill our thoughts, and we consume our thoughts with things that are not of the Lord or not of the Word. Then what happens is we begin to follow after those things. There's great verses. We don't have them on the screen, but you can write these down on the side of your Bible or wherever. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, 2 through 4. Set your mind on things above. There's a good verse for 2024. I'm going to set my mind and my focus and my attention. I'm going to be sober-minded. I'm going to take seriously the things of my life. Another verse is Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, if there's anything noble and worthy, dwell and meditate upon these things. There's a great focus upon our hearts and upon our minds. But if our minds are focused upon the hope to be fully found in the Lord, then, verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming ourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Everyone say holy. Now, this one really frustrates, I say frustrates me, but discourages me from time to time because when I see the word holy, I immediately think of perfection. Now, biblically speaking, holiness is not talking about behaving perfect, but being separate. It's a big change and a big difference. Because we think that we have to perform and we have to behave and we have to be perfect in our actions. It has nothing, holiness has nothing to do with that. Because we well know, the Bible is very clear, that we all fall short of the glory of God. And Paul says that even though we see a little bit clearly, we will be perfected in the coming of Christ. And the new bodies 
in the resurrection of the dead, right? That time will come, but that time is not now. So it's not about behaving or performing perfectly because that is just going to frustrate us. But it's about being separate, set apart for the Lord. And being set apart means that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are looking different from the world. Our lives take on the flavor, the nature, the aroma, the context, the character of Christ. It's radical discipleship with Jesus so that you are not, no longer conforming yourselves to the pressures and the norms of the culture and of the world, but you are throwing and casting those things off and being formed into the nature and the person of Jesus Christ. So the question to ask ourselves today is, not am I perfect, or, but how am I being perfected by Jesus now? What area of my life is being changed because of the gospel, because of the living hope, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is all done because of the salvation and what Jesus has done for us. Notice, <coughs> excuse me, and we'll, we'll just end here because like I said in the beginning, we're not gonna get through it all. But this is a great pause for us in looking at the precious blood of Jesus because we're gonna partake of communion. Notice he says here, be holy, verse 16, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Man, that is pretty powerful. I don't know how long of a stay I have left. My stay so far has been 47 years. I don't know if I will have 47 more years. If I look at the Patterson genes, well, we've got kind of some longevity going on there. And yet... We're not guaranteed. No one is guaranteed, even tomorrow. I mean, the Bible says that our lives are just like a vapor, here today and then gone. An illness, an accident, a tragedy, at any moment. Uh, there's this great quote that says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so Peter says and echoes this same sentiment, with whatever time you and I have left, get serious about Jesus. Get serious, and let me emphasize about Jesus. Get serious about following him. Get serious about being in his word. Get serious about the implications and the impact of the gospel in your life. Get serious about being different because our stay here is short. It's limited and it's not guaranteed. At any moment, life can just be blown out and snuffed out. And yet, it's God's grace that woke us up this morning. I know last week when I was sick, I don't know what I had, but I didn't get tested or anything, but I seemed to have COVID, RSV, and the flu all at once. I don't I figure, well, let's just get it done and over with. 2024 is going to be a year of health. Praise the Lord. Let's do it. I don't know. 
But man, all three of those seemed to converge on me and I could barely even breathe. But I know it's God just sustaining our breath. And whatever breath you and I have to just serve him and love him in fear. That's not, oh oh boy, God's going to crush me. No, that's in reverence and awe for this beautiful, powerful declaration that you are born again begotten again to something radically different and that is the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives but with you have not been notice knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things you did not buy your salvation with the tithes you gave at the end of the year last year or throughout the year you were not You did not buy or earn your salvation with good works. We did not do that. Redeemed with the corruptible things from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers. We did not earn salvation because of religious goodness. But as verse 19 says, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you and I, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We're going to have our worship team come on up and kind of focus our thoughts in on this work of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Jesus. Jesus. The sinless sacrifice of Jesus was is and will always be sufficient to save our souls. And it was always the plan, this is important here, that Jesus' sacrifice was always the plan of God from the very beginning. It wasn't like God looked down on planet Earth and said, oh my goodness, they really screwed things up. What in the world happened down there? Jesus, you think you can go fix that? It wasn't like a Hail Mary where they brought Jesus from the bench. Sorry, ladies. Well, you might like football, but there's a couple of games going on this afternoon. Don't be looking at those scores. This is important. Focus. It wasn't like, Jesus, you want to come in and try a Hail Mary at the end? A couple seconds left, throw it in the end zone and see if it works? That wasn't it. From the foundation before the worlds were created, before you breathed your first breath, before you experienced that trouble and pain, Jesus was slaughtered. He came in the incarnation, being born as a babe in the manger with the sole purpose and intent and focus to lay his life down so that the mercy, the grace, the abundant love of God could be poured out in our hearts and we could experience new life. That's what we're going to celebrate in communion. Let me encourage you. If you have never accepted this gospel, then I want to pray with you and you can just repeat after me in this closing prayer. A confession of sin and a repentance and an acceptance of this gift. But let me also encourage you as we partake of this communion, Christ follower, that you would make a commitment to the Lord in this first Sunday of 2024 to rededicate your life on fire for Jesus this year. To be so laser focused on Jesus only, always, 
in my life and to live radical and changed because of his gospel. So, Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. And for those who have not experienced the born-again life Jesus promises and Peter preaches here, let me encourage you in the quietness of your own heart to repeat after me, God, thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ. Even before I ever had a thought or lived one moment, you thought of me and you loved me and I receive this love. Maybe some of you in this room have never received love from a human being in your life. You have been rejected. You have been forsaken. You have been hurt. But don't take that experience and transfer it on to this God of love and grace and of mercy and let that love flow over you and fill your heart to overflowing with joy inexpressible. God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Sprinkle my heart, my mind, and my soul, and my life with the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be born again and live for you. Thank you that all this is made possible because of the power and the grace of God. It's in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.